Our dear loving Father in heaven, thank you Lord for giving us the privilege to sit down at your feet and hear your words. Dear Father in heaven, we are not naturally inclined to spiritual things. Therefore, we need the help of your Holy Spirit that the words that we are reading from the Bible will be deeply impressed in our hearts. That the words that I will speak will have an effect to lift our souls to heavenly places that we may respond accordingly to the love of God that has been shown to us. Therefore, I pray for your spirit upon me. Put your words in my mouth that I may speak blessings to your children and grant all of us understanding in Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him. March 3. Depths of Humiliation For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 Wondrous combination of man and God. He humbled himself to man's nature. He did this that the scripture might be fulfilled, and the plan was entered into by the Son of God, knowing all the steps in his humiliation, that he must descend to make an expiation for the sins of a condemned, groaning world. What humility was this? It amazed angels. The tongue can never describe it. The imagination cannot take it in. The eternal word consented to be made flesh. God became man. It was a wonderful humility. But he stepped still lower. The man must humble himself as a man to bear insult, reproach, shameful accusations and abuse. There seemed to be no safe place for him in his own territory. He had to flee from place to place for his life. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was denied by one of his most zealous followers. He was mocked. He was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was scourged. He was forced to bear the burden of the cross. He was not insensible to this contempt and ignominy. He submitted. But oh, he felt the bitterness as no other being could feel it. He was pure, holy, and undefiled, yet arraigned as a criminal. The adorable Redeemer stepped down from the highest exaltation. Step by step, he humbled himself to die. But what a death! It was the most shameful, the most cruel the death upon the cross as a malefactor. He did not die as a hero in the eyes of the world, loaded with honors as men in battle. He died as a condemned criminal, suspended between the heavens and the earth, died a lingering death of shame, exposed to the tauntings and revilings of a debased, crime-loaded, profligate multitude. All this humiliation of the majesty of heaven 
was for guilty condemned man. He went lower and lower in his humiliation until there were no lower depths that he could reach in order to lift man up from his moral defilement. All this was for you. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Depths of Humiliation. And once again, I would like to remind us Desire of Ages, page 83, paragraph 4. It says, It will be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. And what will be the result? As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. Amen. And I hope and pray for myself and for you who are listening to me that these words we have been listening to in this devotion that I may know him would have would be an opportunity for us to actually do this, to go step by step in the life of Christ, not just the closing scenes, but from the birth of that's from the manger to the grave and even his resurrection. We have looked at so many things concerning Christ, even before he came to the world, before his incarnation. We've seen these things and I really pray that there is a transformation going on in your life as you see the wonderful, great love that God has shown to you. And today, we want to look at this love in a different sense. When we talk about the depths of humiliation that our Lord Jesus passed through on our behalf, it is something that when we contemplate and dwell on it, like we, we have seen here, it really ought to awaken in us love. Our confidence in someone who will go this far for us ought to be more constant. And finally, we ought to be transformed and be imbued with that same spirit of one who will pass through these depths of humiliation for us. So, let us go point by point to understand as much as the Spirit of the Lord can help us as I speak to understand the depths of humiliation. And you should be praying for me as I say these things. The thing is, the Word of God ought to have its effect on us. And this part now, when we see God humbling himself, all this was for you is what we read last the last sentence of our devotion and the humility the humiliation let me not say humility the humiliation because when we say humiliation we're referring to shame ignominy scorn ridicule it's not a good experience it's a negative experience but all these things mental anguish and physical pain and torture that our lord jesus passed through was for me and you so let's see it point by point First of all, let's understand that our Lord, we have seen, Jesus is God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. All things were made by him. John chapter 1, reading verse 2. Without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1, reading verse 3. All these things in the whole universe. This is someone who is receiving the adoration and worship of intelligent higher beings called angels. When we read the book of Revelation 4 and 5, we see the throng of the Lord. We have a grasp of an, an imagination of what his throne is like. He is great. We call him the mighty God, the almighty, the king of kings and lord of lords. 
But he passed through depths of humiliation for us. And what was the first step in that humiliation? I just pray that the Spirit of the Lord helps us to understand that this was actually humiliation and that is his incarnation. I've said this before, but we need to understand it once again. Repetition deepens impression. That the mighty God exchanged his divine nature for the sinful human flesh is indeed humbling. When you look at the contrast between the two, think about what we humans pass through here on earth. It's normal to us, but think of the fact that this is not the way God is. One day I was just washing and cleaning up myself in the bathroom and I thought about it. I said, did Jesus have to pass through all of this too? Think about the fact that God doesn't get dirty. He doesn't need to clean himself up. He doesn't need to wash his hands. This is a God who has made it clear his love for cleanliness. He tells us clearly that when the environment is dirty, it can take away the spirit of the Lord. He talks about how we should not defile our bodies. This is the same God who subjected himself to take human flesh, sinful flesh, enter into the womb of a woman and be born. When a child is born, they come out and they need to be cleaned up. The God of heaven had to pass through all of this, naked in the hands of a woman and being taken care of. We go to excrete and the Lord God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, had to pass through that also. So he would also feel pressed and need to go to ease himself. Is that not humbling? It is for the creator of heaven and earth to pass through that kind of human experience. That that dignified God would have to pass through this. And he needed help. You know, as human beings, we have a problem sometimes with pride. And we don't like to be taught by any other person. We want to show that we know. But our Lord Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who gave to men the same Ten Commandments and the statutes and the laws and the judgments, who tells us what a righteous life is, he had to humble himself to be taught by his own creatures what it means to worship God, what it means to live a holy life. Sitting down humbly on the laps of his mother and sitting down at her feet, at the feet of a being that he created, he was taught. Is that not humbling enough already? That is humbling enough already. We don't even need to go to the time he grew up as a little child, a boy, a youth, a teenager, and then a man. This one already, just to think about it, is already humbling enough. But that was not enough. Our Lord was willing to go to the last depth of humiliation just so that he can save us from our sins. He came to this earth. It would have been humbling enough to just come in the form of a man, not born of a woman. But yet he came born of a woman. Not to live a life of affluence, but to live a life of poverty. He was among the lowliest of the lowly of the world. The creator of heaven and earth would see a man and a woman walking on the street and would have to be the one that humbles himself to greet them. In many cultures of the earth, and even in the word of God, when you say honor your father and your mother, the respect shown to those older than you is different from that younger. And our God, the ancient of days, humbled himself to greet and to respect sinful human beings not counting it any big issue 
he didn't let these things to hinder him from coming. Like we read in our devotion, did he know that he was going to pass through all of this? Yes. We read it that he knew every single thing he was going to pass through. And yet he still did it. He humbled himself in man's nature. It says that the plan that was entered into by the Son of God, he entered into it knowing all the steps in his humiliation that he must descend to make an expiation for the sins of a condemned, groaning world. It's one thing for you to know and still go to do it and for it to be hidden from you. If it was hidden from him, it's easy to go and do it. But to know before you come and yet you still did it, that means you did it with your senses, you did it knowing very well what you are going to pass through. This is love. That's what it is. But I'll keep going further and further for us to understand the depths of the humiliation of our Lord. Our Lord Jesus was not born like every other child. His mother, people knew that she was pregnant and the father of the pregnancy, the person behind the pregnancy was not Joseph. And this was used to taunt him through his life. Reference was usually made to the circumstances of his birth. Now, while we know that Jesus was not elated by applause or dejected by censure, the fact is that he felt these insults. It touched him. It went to his soul. It didn't make him change his ways, but it did touch him. That was still a humiliating experience for him. For him to be referred to as a bastard, that was humbling. And then, as he continued to grow, living on the earth, He entered into his mission as a man to save the world from their sins and he went into his ministry teaching from place to place. He had to meet and head to head with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin to be more precise. And these people wanted to kill him. It was not a pleasant, exalting experience for him to have to flee from place to place like a coward. If you are the mighty God, the ancient of days, you will not run away from men. But he was the mighty God. He is the ancient of days. But he subjected himself to the same circumstances that every man has to subject himself to. So the times when they wanted to kill him, he would run for his life. The Bible says in John 7 that when his brothers were telling him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles, he said, I will not go. And his reason was this. He wanted to stay away from the Jews. He says he walked no more in Jewry when he knew that they wanted to kill him. This is not a dignifying experience for someone who is the agent of days to run. I mean, power ought to show itself. That's what it does to show that you can't touch me. And if they try to come to touch him, I mean, you would show that you cannot be touched. But no, our Lord humbled himself. The rejection he faced from men was still a humbling experience. He said, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. He was dependent on the kindness of men. This is another humbling experience. Some of us find it difficult to receive gifts because the Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. And more than that, even though he was not borrowing, the fact is that the one who gives is above the one who receives. It is a humbling experience to live the life as if you are a beggar. But our Lord Jesus, because of the ministry he was doing, sometimes he had to live like that. He had to be dependent on others. He slept in other people's houses. The kindness that was shown to him and the place where they gave him to sleep, that's where he would stay. 
the one who welcomes others and shows the hospitality seems to be the greater one and in the other one who is receiving from the other has to be always thankful and you are subject to the person who is blessing you and this was what the ancient of this subjected himself to the basic necessities that men that men have the conveniences of life from his childhood till manhood our lord jesus did not have it he had no home to call his own he had no horse no donkey no camel he went on foot everywhere and when he was coming to the end of his ministry that was where they brought upon him the greatest humiliation matthew 26 verse 26 and verse 67 and 68 in anna's judgment hall it says then they did spit in his face and buffeted him and others smote him with the palms of their hands saying prophesy unto us thou christ who is he that smote thee and then after that they took him to herod's palace luke 23 verse 9 to 11 here they mocked him to scorn it says then he questioned with him that's herod questioned with him in many words but he answered him nothing and the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him and herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to pilate in these short words i have just read is contained something really big just try to imagine what happened here it says they questioned him in many words but jesus kept silent the chief priest was there, the scribes were, was there, were there, Herod and his war, men of war were all there. And what did they do? When he could not respond to them, they started to mock him, put clothes on him to make him look like a king, and they will laugh him to scorn, arrange him in a gorgeous robe, and then they sent him back to Pilate. But that was not all. When he went to Pilate, it says there in John 19 verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Wow this is a humbling experience too he was lacerated on his back it was a public show as if he was a criminal have you ever been accused falsely do you see how criminals are treated when they are found how they are paraded on the streets and dealt with in the mob when the mob wants to deal with them or even on the television sometimes these days we see police who are treated as corrupt people and they are stripped or soldiers stripped of their garments and shamed for being corrupt people our lord jesus went through a deeper humiliation than that he was treated as though he was a criminal as if that was not enough the crown of thorns were placed on him and then there was mockery from the soldiers that struck him on his head john 19 reading from verse 2 and 3 now says and the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe and said hail king of the jews and they smote him with their hands in the account in matthew 27 it goes deeper to explain to us how this humbling experience was forget about the movies please be careful not to be remembering movies while i'm going through all of this because the movies misrepresent what jesus passed through now listen matthew 27 verse 27 to 30 giving the same account of after jesus was flogged and the crown of thorns were plated on his head see what really happened here he says then the soldiers of the governor that's Pilate, took jesus into the common hall called praetorium and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers in the movies they won't tell you that when they bring the whole band of soldiers how many are they there are a lot of them it says there in the presence of all these soldiers plenty men what did they do to him verse 28 and they stripped him 
stripped him of what? That's you know the way we say it in common English. They naked him. That's what they that's what they did to him. They stripped him of his garments. And then they put on him is first of all, the stripping is already humbling. Making him naked in front of others. Then after that, they humbled him further by putting on him a scarlet robe, which is a mockery to his claim that he's a king. That's what they were doing. They were mocking the claim that he's the king of the Jews. Oh, you are the king of the Jews, right? Please bring kingly kingly robes for him. Let us let us clothe the king of the Jews because the king of the Jews is a naked man. So let's clothe him with scarlet robes so that he can be clothed as a king that he said he is. And then they will laugh. Verse 29 says, And when they had plated a crown, oh, you are the king, right? You need a crown. Let's get a crown for him, please. Somebody get a crown. And what did they get for him? Crown of thorns. They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed. They bowed the knee before him. And what did they do? They mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. This is the second time they are spitting on him. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. What does that mean? You, which, which King of the Jews are you? Nonsense. So they gave him this. First of all, stripped him naked and then oh king you, you don't have clothes let's get clothes for you gave him a robe oh you don't have crown and then you can imagine that they will not gently put that crown of thorns on him because they were trying to mock him oh you say you are the king put the crown on his hand and press it onto his head oh you are a king you need a reed because kings always hold a reed and then they give him a reed and after giving him the reed they knelt down before him saying Hail, king of the Jews. And after that, they took the reed from him and hit him on his head. What nonsense, king, are you? Nonsense. You say you are king of the Jews. That was mockery there. And then they, after doing that, paraded him as a criminal. John 19 now, from verse 4, four, and four to 6 says, Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns so this was after the soldiers had mocked him wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and pilate said unto them this is still some kind of mockery so let mock it and pilate was doing here pilate saw what they did to him but did not say anything about it he said unto the people behold the man when the chief priest therefore and officer saw him they cried out saying crucify him crucified him crucify him Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. But if we go back now to the account in Matthew 27, they prevailed against Pilate. And what happened next? Verse 31, Matthew 27 says, And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. This was a humbling experience for Jesus. All this was for me and for you. Going further, they stripped him of his garments again when they carried the cross to Calvary. John 19 verse 23 says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. Then here, for them to have stripped him of his garment, what does that mean? They hung him naked on the cross. Some people paint pictures of Jesus, so-called, where they put something covering his genitals. Well, we don't know that that was done. What the Bible says is that they stripped him of his garment. Now you need to understand 
that the fact is that when people are being crucified, crucifixion is not for death. Crucifixion is not a method of killing. It is a method of shaming. If the penalty for Jesus was to kill him, all they needed to do was to take him to a place to the gallows and hang him. That's all. Or they put him in uh, under the axe and they cut his head off. That's all. The purpose of crucifixion is for humiliation. And the person can stay on that cross for days. And the reason that why it is done is to humble the person. And that's why they stripped him of his garments to hang before the heavens and the earth for the whole world to see. So you've been living your life dress reform, cover your body. The word of God says modest dressing. This is the ancient of days here who is supposed to be the epitome of modesty. And then what did they do to him? They put him in an immodest fashion, naked, whether with pants or not, it's still the same thing. He's naked on the cross and brought him to the lowest depth of humiliation for his mother to see him humbled for his disciples who call him master and lord see your master humbled for the jews and all whom he has loved other women who jesus will never open any part of his body for them to see now here he was there were women there that day mary was there another mary was there and other women this bible says women were there and they were viewing his nakedness it was shameful i will not want to pass through that that I would be hung, even if I'm not nailed, just to be naked before others. It's already humbling enough. But this was what our Lord passed through. But remember, it was for you and for me. And then they crucified him with the worst of criminals. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 38 to 44, that that was the case. He was crucified with criminals. Reading from Review and Herald, July 5, 1887, paragraph 7, to explain this in better words than I have used, it says, but he stepped still lower. The man must humble himself as a man to bear insult, reproach, shameful accusations and abuse. There seemed to be no safe place for him in his own territory. He had to flee from place to place for his life. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was denied by one of his most zealous followers. He was mocked. He was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was scourged. He was forced to bear the burden of the cross. He was not insensible to this contempt and ignominy. He submitted, but oh, he felt the bitterness as no other being could feel it. He was pure, holy and undefiled, yet arraigned as a criminal. The adorable Redeemer stepped down from the highest exaltation. Step by step, he humbled himself to die. But what a death! It was the most shameful, the most cruel, the death upon the cross as a malefactor. He did not die as a hero in the eyes of the world, loaded with honors as men in battle. He died as a condemned criminal suspended between the heavens and the earth died a lingering death of shame, exposed to the tauntings and revilings of a debased, crime-loaded, profligate multitude. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip, they shake their head. Psalms 22 verse 7. He was numbered with the transgressors. He expired amid derision. And his kinsmen, according to the flesh, disowned him. 
His mother beheld his humiliation and he was forced to see the sword pierce her heart. He endured the cross, despised the shame. He made it of small account in consideration of the results that he was working out in behalf of not only the inhabitants of this speck of a world, but the whole universe, every world which God had created. Christ was to die as man's substitute. Man was a criminal under the sentence of death for transgression of the law of God as a traitor, a rebel. Hence, a substitute for man must die as a malefactor because he stood in the place of the traitors with all their treasured sins upon his divine soul. What a description. Not just with all their sins, with all their treasured sins upon his divine soul. It was not enough that Jesus should die in order to, fu- to fully meet the demands of the broken law, but he died a shameful death. The prophet gives these words, gives to the world his words, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. End of quote. Why did Jesus have to pass through such shameful treatment at the hands of men? Like we read, it was to save us from our sins. But the only reason was that, I mean, the shameful part, because to die for man you don't need to go through all this shame that's the truth the wages of sin is death and that's all it must not be this shameful death so why this shame the only reason was that satan was trying to discourage him from drinking the cup the death of jesus was supposed to die just die for our sins it was not necessarily about the buffeting in anna's hall that was not necessary that was just a distraction the mockery on herod's palace was not part of what the wrath of god was for the sinner the crown of thorns was satan's own plan the flogging he received on his back the cross that he bore the stripping of his garments were all a very slow and painful process that satan was taking jesus through to humiliate him then the nailing on the cross and the hanging of that body between the heavens and the earth was the final depth of humiliation like we read yesterday's testimonies volume 2 page 207 paragraph 1 who can comprehend the love here displayed? The angelic host beheld with wonder and with grief him who had been the majesty of heaven and he who had won the crown of glory. Now they gave him crown of thorns. Now wearing the crown of thorns, a bleeding victim to the rage of an infuriated mob fired to insane madness by the wrath of Satan. Behold the patient sufferer upon his head is a tawny crown. His life blood flows as he was walking. It flows from every lacerated vein. All this, why? In consequence of sin. Who committed the sin? I am the one. I know my sin more than any other, any other person's sin. And I believe you know yours more than any other person's own. No matter the stories you hear of people on the news and how, how much evil they've done, you still know more of your sins than any other human being nothing could have induced christ why did he do it nothing could have induced him to leave his honor and majesty in heaven and come to a sinful world to be neglected despised and rejected by those whom he came to save and finally suffer upon the cross nothing could make him go through this but eternal redeeming love which will ever remain a mystery amen now what lesson do we learn from here now that we have seen the depth of humiliation of the one who is the ancient of days. We read in Review and Herald, July 5, 1887, paragraph 9 and 10. In consideration of this, can men have one particle of exaltation? 
as they trace down the life and sufferings of and humiliation of Christ, can they lift their proud heads as though they were to bear no trials, no shame, no humiliation? I say to the followers of Christ, look to Calvary and blush for shame or for your self-important ideas. All this humiliation of the majesty of heaven was for guilty condemned man. He went lower and still lower in his humiliation until there were no lower depths that he could reach in order to lift man up from his moral defilement. All this was for you who are striving for the supremacy, striving for human praise, for human exaltation. It's for you, let me put my words now, it's for you who are ashamed to wear that dress. It was for you who are ashamed to make it known that you are not like the world. All this was for you who are striving to be loved by the world. You who are striving to achieve the things that the world has achieved. You who are striving to get something that will make you be on the same level with the rest of the world so that you will take away your shame. All this was for you who are striving for human praise, for human exaltation. You who are afraid that you will not receive all that difference, that respect from human mind that you think is your due. Is this Christ-like? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He died to make an atonement and to become a pattern for everyone who would be his disciple. Shall selfishness come into your hearts? And will those who set not before them the pattern Jesus extol your merits? Let me put that in another language. Will the world praise you? Will you look for that? Those who do not cherish Jesus Christ, they will then, because you are ashamed to pass through humiliation for his sake, so you want to receive their praise. Is that what you want? You, you have none. You have none except as they come through Jesus Christ. Shall pride be harbored after you have seen deity humbling himself and then as man debasing himself till there was no lower point to which he could descend be astonished O ye heavens and be amazed ye inhabitants of the earth that such return should be made to our lord what contempt what wickedness what formality what pride what efforts made to lift up man and glorify self when the lord of glory humbled himself agonized and died the shameful death upon the cross in our behalf end of quote i wish that the holy spirit is applying these things to specific areas of our life many of us are ashamed because we we have pride and that's where shame comes from we make efforts to lift ourselves up through various things by the watch we wear by the house we live in by the car we have by the dress we are wearing by the certificates that we have by the location we are living in whether it is in africa or not in africa by all these things what are many people trying to do i'm not saying all but many people with the motive in their heart they are actually trying to get this car this certificate masters phd bsc they're trying to get these things even avoiding certain dresses that the word of god says they should wear avoiding certain foods that the word of god said they should eat going to certain restaurants just so that they can do what raise themselves those are efforts made to lift man up and to glorify self but they do this while the lord of glory humbled himself agonized and died the shameful death upon the cross 
You see, all these efforts we are making to lift ourselves up, we need to blush in shame for it because our Lord Jesus did not try to lift himself up. He humbled himself. It should not be a big deal for you to obey him. If obeying Jesus will bring you to a state where you cannot be exalted by owning these things, then be content. Do not feel ashamed. As you look at Jesus, the ancient of days, humbling himself to pass through all of this, you should not feel any shame. Don't have any particle of glory for yourself. That is the lesson that God wants us to learn. When Paul was called by the Lord, God did not say to him that he was going to show him how he's going to exalt him. Acts 9 verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. He was talking to Ananias who was going to heal Paul. He said to him, Go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. That was what God said to Paul. Not what I'm going to make him enjoy for my namesake, but what I'm going to make him suffer. And then Paul himself wrote concerning the kind of life he was living. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 10 to 13. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. Do you know that this is not the kind of life people want to live? They will be asking, when will you settle down, Paul? You don't have house. You just go from place to place. You what kind of life is that? But that's the life Paul was living. Verse 12, he says, And labor, walking with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the scoring of all things unto this day. This is another humbling experience and Paul was not ashamed of it. He did it for the Lord. Philippians 1 verse 28 and 29, he said, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. You may suffer poverty, ridicule, scorn, pain, shame, the loss of all things, anyone we have to suffer for his sake second timothy 2 reading from verse 8 there's a reason why it's important that you suffer for his sake if if whenever you're called to it says remember that jesus christ the seed of david was raised from the dead according to my gospel wherein i suffer trouble as an evil doer even unto bonds but the word of god is not bound therefore i endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in christ jesus with eternal glory verse 11 now it is a faithful saying for if we be dead with him we shall also live with him if we suffer we shall also reign with him if we deny him he also will deny us if we believe not yet he abided faithful he cannot deny himself in conclusion i'll be reading from reflecting christ page 365 paragraph 2 there it says jesus does not present to his followers the hope of attaining earthly glory and riches and of having a life free from trial but he presents to them the privilege of walking with their master in the paths of self-denial and reproach because the world knows them not in an unpitying confederacy, evil men and evil angels array themselves against the Prince of Peace. 
though his every word and act breathed of divine compassion, his unlikeness to the world provoked the bitterest hostility. Between righteousness and sin, love and hatred, truth and falsehood, there is an irrepressible conflict. When one presents the love of Christ and the beauty of holiness, he is drawing away the subject of Satan's kingdom and the prince of evil is aroused to resist it. Paragraph 6 now says, While the Lord has not promised his people exemption from trials, he has promised that which is far better. He has said, As thy days, so shall thy strength be. Amen. But the message that God is giving to us is that we should behold the depth of humiliation of our Lord and be imbued with the same spirit that when called to be humbled for Christ's sake, it should not be a big deal for us after the ancient of days has subjected himself to such treatment also. May God give us the grace to do that. Let us pray. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for these words. I can go on and on, but it's the spirit of the Lord that impresses these words in the hearts of your children. So I pray that your spirit shall impress these words in our minds, that as we have contemplated the depth of humiliation that our Lord passed through on our behalf, that we also shall be ready to suffer for his sake, that we will not count anything too shameful, too dishonorable to pass through for our Lord Jesus. Forgive us for the times we have run away from suffering, from humiliation, that we have been ashamed of our Lord when he was not ashamed to come down to this earth and be humbled for our sakes. Help us, Lord, if we have to pass through such experiences that we will count it as nothing in consequence of the love that we have for you. Lord, shed your love abroad in our hearts that we may properly and appropriately represent you to the world and that many souls shall come to the knowledge of the truth through our own efforts. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. This message was brought to you by the angel with a strong voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for his imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org. That is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org. Thank you.